If there ever was a week to think about Jesus being at the center of our life and of our church, would this not be the week? We sang that, uh, that song. It's a relatively new song for a lot of us. It is for me. We sang it actually a couple of weeks ago, and I asked uh, the worship team, can we just do that again on what uh, Christianity knows as Palm Sunday? As we lead in to what is commonly known as Holy Week, the Passion Week in our series on drawing near to God, we're focusing on the grace of God leading up to that Easter celebration. And this week was all about Jesus. It's Jesus and his grace. It's, it's the grace of God revealed through Jesus. And you'll never see it in a more powerful way than what we celebrate on what we call Good Friday. Where, where Jesus willingly and God willingly sent him to the cross, you know, to bear all of our sins. It's, uh, this is an amazing week, and I hope, you know, today we'll be able to help uh, prepare us, you know, for it. We've got uh, a few more people than normal that are with us in live stream this morning because of the tornado watch. And so we've got more families at home, probably with their kids. Hey, it's great to have you kids that are here in the auditorium. Awesome to have you here, and hope you're going to get a kernel out of this, a kernel of truth, you know, an inspiration out of being here together with your church family and just hearing about Jesus. But why don't we give an official welcome to our live stream, you know, crew, you know, great to have you worshiping here with us this morning. We've got a, uh, we've got a greeting that we normally use at North River, we do a lot, and we say, welcome home, right? So how about doing that? Turn to somebody next to you and say, welcome home. This is a church family. Welcome home. At our 11 o'clock service coming up, and we hope the weather will cooperate, but at our 11 o'clock service, we've got a parent honoring, and dozens of our college students' parents are going to be here at the 11 o'clock service, and then... Uh, for a luncheon afterwards, and we'll dodge some raindrops, and it's over there in the FLC, and it's a tent, assuming that isn't, doesn't take a, a Wizard of Oz turn and head on up into the sky, you know, we'll be out there as well. Um, but uh, that's, that's kind of our greeting, but we have a church motto as well, and this is it. I think you're very familiar with it. Love God, love people because he first loved us, and change the world. That, that's our motto, but we also have a vision statement, and it's been updated by a group of, uh, it's been updated by a group of our members uh, of many, several different generations, got together and actually took all of the things that we believe and we're focused on as a church, and uh, actually over a period of weeks, sort of tried to, to fine-tune our vision statement as a church. And pretty much all of these words are intentional. We'll have them in the newsletter from most times, you know, from here on out. But why don't we at the beginning of what we call Holy Week, leading up to the annual celebration and remembrance of Jesus dying on the cross on Good Friday, and then, of course, that amazing resurrection day, we affirm together we are a diverse family of believers who have answered the call to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just to be believers, but to be followers and be disciples of him. We are being transformed by God's word, and you get a little taste of it on a Sunday morning, but hopefully, prayerfully, on a daily basis, we've got an open Bible and an open heart, and we're, we're getting those convictions in that faith that can only really come from God's word 
and the Holy Spirit, and of course, motivated by his grace, you know, um, we're all compelled by the grace of God, the love of Jesus compels us. And then you go on and we say through small groups and deep relationships with one another. Hopefully, that's exactly what you're experiencing this week and in the week to come. We join in Jesus' ministry and his mission to make and mature disciples while we care for the needs of people. We do this to save as many as possible to the glory of God. And, you know, actually we ought to say we do this to help save as many people as possible for the glory of God. Can we get an amen on that? That is who we are as a church. That is what we strive to be, and that is what we get up in the morning, go to God in prayer, and join arms together on a daily, weekly basis to be Jesus' church. And if you're here as a guest or you're visiting us online, you know, that's what we're all about. You know, welcome home. We're doing our best to love God, love people, and change the world. But it truly is all about Jesus. Draw near to God. That's what we're doing in, in 2019. And we've been focusing on prayer, on fasting, on the book of Ruth, about staying close to God when, when tough things happen in our life. We're, we're now focusing on the grace of God. And this morning, we're simply going to call the sermon, Jesus and the Parade of Grace. Okay, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, and I hope today in just a few minutes to inspire you to zero in on 29 chapters in the, uh, the Gospels. There are actually about 89 chapters in, uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the Gospels as we see the story of Jesus Christ, particularly in three years of his life. There are four chapters in the Bible of those 89 that are devoted to the first 30 years of Jesus' life. There are 85 left. Of those 85, 29 chapters are focused on the very last week of Jesus' life. Do you think it's important? It's very intentional what God left behind for us, and we are to be riveted and to be focused on what we learn in this last week of Jesus' life. And it begins with a parade of grace. You know, it's interesting because Jesus didn't actually use the word grace in his earthly ministry. He used the word that was translated grace, charis, uh, a few times, and it was translated because of the context as reward or favor or as a gift, because that's just what the word means, okay? And in a unique Christian sense, once the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of, of Christ, and as Paul put, put, put some, some skin on those bones, we understand, you know, the fullness of his grace. John says in chapter 1, beginning in verse 14 and verse 17, that we built, beheld his glory full of grace. And that um, the, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And we've received grace on grace. That's as John is reflecting back many years later on the life of Christ. You know, and then it says that Jesus grew in grace, you know, with God. And it's it, that, that root meaning. He grew in favor, you know, with God and with man. And though, all, although Jesus doesn't actually use the word grace as we know it in his ministry, you just see it in his life on every page. And there's a parade of grace that goes on 
that, that is, is leading up to this great culmination that what is, you know, in our Christian, modern Christianity, I guess not so modern, we call it Easter. I mean, that has kind of a spurious kind of background, that word, but it's still, it's a common word. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's this great annual celebration of his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, how many of you as a kid, because we grew up in different traditions, on Palm Sunday, which is what this Sunday is kind of generally called in Christianity at large, how many of you had little palms? Okay, raise your hand. Anybody else? Okay, yeah, you had little palms. I, I kind of my, uh, I grew up with my grandparents and my grandmother went to, uh, which she didn't go, she sent us to a Presbyterian church a block away. And my granddad got up early in the morning and went to like a 6 a.m. Catholic service, you know. But I mean, it was all about, it was all about Palm Sunday and Easter. And one of the few times as a kid, you got something to play with in church. It was really nice. And you could make stuff up with these little palm frogs, okay. Sometimes if you got really spiritual, you make them into a cross or whatever. But, but it, it's trying to be a physical reminder of what went on. We'll have communion after this, this message, and we'll have a physical reminder. I mean, it's much more dramatic and important than a little palm, okay, as we think about the blood of, of Jesus represented in that cup and his body represented as you break that little piece of bread, you know, there. But there's something physical to remind us. And it was interesting, you know, back then as I thought through, didn't have a whole lot of meaning, you know, for me, but it's something that uh, in my childhood and your childhood, you may remember. The parade, you know, uh, is often called the triumphal entry. That's what you see in Mark chapter 11, Matthew chapter 21, Luke 19, and in John chapter 12. It's one of the few accounts that occurs in every gospel, and it is important. There's a reason why it's included. It's a reason why it's emphasized, and we hope to uncover some of that or remind us of that as we look at this this morning. It actually, uh, chronologically, uh, it didn't take place on Sunday at all. It was actually on Monday, you know, as we headed into this last week of Jesus' life. What is clear, though, is when you pay attention, and if this week you double back into Matthew chapter 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John chapter 12, what is very clear if we pay attention, Jesus intended for this parade to help begin to change the world. That's what he was about. It's very intentional. It's very purposeful. It's been in the plan in the mind of God, and it was clearly on the mind of Jesus as this was prepared in a very, very specific way. Let's look in Matthew chapter 21. Here's how it begins. Well, we, we already commented on John. Uh, in Matthew 21, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of the disciples ahead, and he said to them, you go to the village ahead of you, and uh, at once you're going to find a donkey there, and with her colt. You got two donkeys. You got a mom, and you got a little uh, a, a child donkey. And he says, and her coat uh, with her, coat with her, untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord's need needs them, and he'll send them right away. So a donkey begins to play a central role at the beginning of this parade, okay? And so um, we'll, we see this scripture. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. This is from Zechariah. And it says, say to my daughter Zion, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did this as Jesus instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. You know, it's very encouraging. If God can use a donkey, maybe he can use you and me. And maybe this is more what the donkey looked like. And Jesus very intentionally didn't get on the, the larger mama donkey, got on the little colt, which always represented his humility. He is king. He's going to allow himself for the first time to be celebrated, to be uh, uh, praised, to be glorified for a spectacle to take place. And he will allow this to happen, and he's setting it up for a very specific reason. On the surface, it looks like this great affirmation of, of what we were hoping for all along, that Jesus, 33 years old, after three years of public ministry and doing miracles and serving people, finally, he's going to get the honor and the glory that he deserves. It's finally going to happen. Finally, the realization is going to come, come through, and all these hosannas are going to happen. When the hosannas died, something else happened. In fact, Jesus Christ himself did much to kill this celebration, as you're going to see in just a few moments. But he comes into the city with all of these hosannas and hallelujahs and all this bright hope of, a, of the Messiah. He's, he's massively accumulated some popular opinion through the last three years. His miracles have been talked about all over Israel. It's a very powerful thing. But before we get into the rest of this parade, I want to call your attention to something. And as you study in your own Bible, how carefully Jesus prepares every detail of this beforehand. He plans his dramatic entry into Jerusalem. I honestly can't think of another moment in Jesus' life where he spends so much time preparing to do anything as much as he does in this parade of grace. You see, it all culminated a few days earlier at the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Do you remember? This Parade of grace is in John chapter 12, but as John leads up to it in John chapter 11, there is this amazing, incredible miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And he's been in the grave for four days. And sometimes you've wondered, why did Jesus wait so long? you know, for that? Was he just, you know, trying to make it more dramatic? Was he just letting people feel the pain so they could really appreciate even more the great joy that was, was coming? Not really. He was delaying. He was waiting because there was a timing in this. And then as Lazarus was raised from the dead, this amazing miracle, as you read through this, people start talking about this, and big crowds come around. Now, this place is only two miles from Jerusalem. It's right down the road, okay? It's spreading through Jerusalem. This, um, the, the prophet, the Messiah is here. This amazing miracle, it's so dramatic. If you look in John chapter 11, the Pharisees say, we have to form a plot and a conspiracy to not just get rid of Jesus, we got to kill Lazarus also. 
And so there's this powerful swell of uh, enthusiasm and praise and, you know, encouragement for, uh, you know, for what's going, you know, what's going on here. And then on top of that, there is a massive congregation forming in Jerusalem because what do we have descending on us? Passover, where literally hundreds of thousands of God's people, of Israelites, are streaming into the city. There's some estimates based on a census of how many lambs were slain in, 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 in this period of time that the crowd could have been over a million, maybe two million people there. Certainly it's on hundreds of thousands. And so they're coming in and they're swelling up Jerusalem. And all these great stories are coming through about the miracles and about Lazarus. And it's a, it's a powerful thing in John 12, verse 12. It says a very large crowd had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. You know, now get ready. There's going to be some change. It's going to be a very dramatic change. Because this has happened before. People have wanted to give accolades to Jesus. They've wanted to pull him aside and make him king. In John chapter 6, you remember after he feeds the 5,000, including women and children, I mean, a prodigious number of thousands of people, you know, experienced this great, great miracle. And it says there that people wanted to pull him aside and make him king, and Jesus just disappeared. There were other times Okay, where Jesus would say, don't tell anybody. He's keeping it, he's keeping it on the down low. He is not wanting that much attention. Until this parade of grace, until he sets it up with this powerful miracle just two miles down the road, as, as, because there's a timing in all of this. The Pharisees have a plan. They're going to get rid of Jesus. They're going to get rid of Lazarus. Like any conspiracy, it's very well planned and the timing. And they are not planning to do this in this kind of setting with this kind of, you know, powerful response to Jesus. But Jesus is going to, to, to force their hand, you know, on, uh, you know, on this. Sometimes Jesus in these settings removed himself. Sometimes they were restrained. You'll remember, you know, uh, you know, here in John chapter 11, Jesus no longer moved about publicly in the region of Judea. You know, he pulled, he pulled back, okay? He was waiting. There, there was a timing in this. There was an hour. Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, 23, that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now is the hour. Jesus sets up a demonstration. He creates all of this. He sets it up by healing Lazarus and raising him from the dead. He comes to Bethany a few days before. He lingers there. He draws the crowd there. He deliberately sets himself up to draw the largest possible crowd of people, you know, as they overrun the village and head into Jerusalem as people are preparing for Passover. Thousands of people in the city. But he also wants to totally infuriate the leaders of Israel so that against their own will, they're going to come up with a plan, you know, against their own plan, they're going to end up crucifying him on the very day that God has ordained at Passover. And so Mark uh, tells us after this parade, I mean, just thousands of people. I mean, we're throwing, putting palm branches, hosannas. It's a huge commotion. So much as you read and study in your Bible, you'll see the Pharisees say, we don't know what to do. The whole world has gone after this guy. 
Now, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus says something else. He goes into the temple courts. He looks around at everything. It was already late, so he had beheaded back to Bethany. But he's coming, you know, with some strength. And we read on in Mark chapter 11, on reaching Jerusalem, he entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables, you know, and those selling doves. He wouldn't allow anybody to carry merchandise through the temple courts as he taught them. It's not written, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer and uh, of all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And so Jesus not only draws this great crowd, he very intentionally, completely infuriates the leaders and he pushes, you know, their, uh, th- their hand. And it's interesting. You know, Jesus, he didn't attack the Romans. He didn't attack the Samaritans. He went right after his own people. He was very strong. And rebuked them about how they had, uh, you know, watered down and so polluted what, what, what he set up. In, uh, in Romans chapter 5, I want to talk a little bit about grace because here's what happens. Sanhedrin didn't plan to kill him during that time. It just made no sense when he was the most popular of all. It's exactly, you know, when they would crucify him because that's what God had planned. In this whole situation, you see Jesus and God are in complete control of the situation they're absolutely in complete control as we hope they're in control of our lives and Jesus at the center of our you know of our church this has been planned for a long time it will set up the events of holy week and lead us to the cross and to the resurrection in God's timing nobody nobody else's in these three days that would change the world what's truly on display here is is a parade of grace Jesus marches right into the center of all of this and in a vulnerable way that ultimately gets him killed. You know, he's in this parade that's going to change the world. And here's the thing. He's calling every member of the North River Church of Christ to follow him in this, to follow him in all of this. It is grace. And here's, because there's a place that he's going. There's a place this parade is headed. There's a destination. It's called Golgotha. That's where it's going. It's going to the cross. He absolutely knows it. You know, that's why he came. He said, this is why I came into this world, not just to do some good for three years. Well, he, he, he did good, and he did disciple some people and some leaders, and it, but he was here to die for us and to show us God's grace and love. And so Romans tells us, since we've been justified by faith, we've got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand at just the right time. When we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me, and that's you. This is what this is all about. This is what this week is all about. This is where I'm hoping so much, you just, you'll pay attention. You'll get in the Bible. You'll, you'll, let, you'll let your heart get moved. As you see in these 29 chapters, Jesus purposely go into the mat for us because he does love us. He doesn't have to do this. It's a gift. It's favor. It's unmerited in many senses, in the sense that we can't, you know, earn it. But it's all about us being powerless, but Jesus, by his grace, doing what we could not do for ourselves, dying for us so we could live 
opening up an opportunity for us to be with our family and to be with our friends forever in fellowship and relationship with God. It truly is all about grace. But what do we, I just want to hit three things very quickly that we learn from Jesus, from this whole account. You'll study it out and, and you'll pull out things for yourself as well. What do we learn from Jesus about the parade of grace? Well, first death, then resurrection. It's always been the pattern. So Jesus says here in John 12, you know, you, you know the passage, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it can become something completely different. And then he goes into discipleship about what it means to follow him and be a Christian. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You could turn to your wife or your husband or your kids, or your friend, and you could directly quote that. It's truth. If you're trying to save yourself, you know, you're not going to be able to keep it. And Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. This is, this is the pattern in all of this. It's all through Scripture. Just to remind you of a few verses, it should be familiar to us if, if we've been members here for a while. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced one died. Who is that? Jesus, we celebrated on Good Friday. But then he goes on to say, and therefore, all died. Who is that? Us. Okay, so we no longer live for what? Ourselves, but for him. Colossians chapter 3, it talks about we've been raised with him in Christ. Set our hearts on the things above where Christ is. For you what? You died. We died to ourselves when we were baptized into Christ. It's what Romans 6 tells us about. How can we go on sinning that grace can, can abound? By no, by no means. Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? We are buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was to raise from the dead, we too may live a new life. And then just on a daily basis, this is to live a resurrected, glorious Walk with God. You know, it's, it's all about connecting with the cross of Jesus. And then on a daily basis, me and you making a conscious decision to what we did when we were baptized, Romans chapter 6, or Colossians chapter 3, as he refers you know, back to it, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to make a daily decision. I'm going to deny myself today and take up the cross, the instrument of death, and to follow Jesus. That's not so easy, is it? On a practical way, I had my tax appointment this week. Anybody fill out your taxes? Okay, they changed the code, and unfortunately, in our situation, we, instead of getting money back, we owe a lot of money, and that's the money we always put aside for Generosity Sunday. It's thousands of dollars. I got a little down and depressed, and then I'm thinking about Generosity Sunday. And then I start going to a dark place where I start thinking, what about people who don't even give that much and, and, and don't seem to be that concerned to even, even support the church financially, or just, they sort of tip, you know? And don't particularly say, and then I started having some weird feelings there. Because the only way I can do, Kelly and I can do Generosity Sunday is go into our, uh, uh, you know, 401k retirement. We don't have savings like that. And just pull money out of what we planned and needed for. When we, that's it. That's all we got. And it was hard. 
And we talked about it. I got counseling for, you know, just to help get my heart in the right place. It's only money. But I'm telling you what, I got to deny myself. And just focus on what I believe intentionally is most important. And there's a hundred different ways to do this. I just, I just went into my week, okay? You got your week, okay? Health problems, kid problems, work problems, you know, church problems, motivation problems, whatever. But Jesus tells us anybody who's going to follow him, and you know how strong he is in Luke 14, he says, if you don't do this, take up your cross and follow me. You cannot be my disciple. There's a parade of grace where Jesus has opened up all of these beautiful opportunities and he dies for us, but he does expect us to have some kind of response. And, but it only happens not by listening to a sermon or coming to church, but by spending time with Christ and letting God's spirit transform our lives. What else do we learn about from Jesus? Jesus is more compelling than religion. I love these quotes. If you could take a picture of it, take a picture of it, you know. The whole world's gone after him. The Pharisees say, shut your disciples up. He says, if I shut them up, the stones are going to start doing hosannas for me. In John chapter 12, if the Son of Man be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's, isn't that what we want in this church service to lift up Christ? Isn't that what we want to do in the North River Vision? If, in this lighthouse, don't we want to lift up Jesus? In your family group, isn't that the idea, lifting up Christ? That will draw people, you know, to himself. I remember, you know, for, you know, for me and for my life, I didn't like going to church. I came to church once with, with you guys when I was in college. Didn't particularly like it. You were too intense for me and never came back until the day after I was baptized. But some guys in my dorm got me into the Gospels and reading about Jesus. That's what changed me. That guy blew me away. And if there was ever anybody worth following, that was it. We can't compete with the world and have a church service that blows everybody away and offers more entertainment and stimulation than the world. Okay, it's not like we're going to put together some programs for our kids, our middle school, our high school students that is going to blow away the world, what the world can offer. The world has a lot to offer. What we have to offer is as sincerely as we can lifting up Christ and to help people see him and for us not to get in the way. This is what the church is truly all about. What we learn about Jesus from the parade of grace, Jesus wept right after this parade in Luke chapter 19, this is what's so beautiful about reading all the Gospels. You see the full, you see the full picture of what's going on when you read all four. He, he looks over Jerusalem. He's, he, he's going to die for them. He knows many of them will be lost forever. But he gets up there and, and he says he wept. Now we remember in, in, in John 11 uh, that, he, that Jesus wept when he saw how sad people were about the death of, of Lazarus. He had compassion. He cared. In this situation, it's a bigger picture. He looks over this mass of people. It could be five or six million people here in Atlanta. It could be the gallery that's following Tiger Woods this afternoon if the rain holds, holds off. Any big crowd. Jesus just looks and he wept. He cared about them. That's what you learn from this parade of grace and everything's there. He didn't just cry over his friends. He just didn't weep over his mom or his family. He, he wept over the Romans who were going to torture him. 
He wept over the Pharisees and the religious leaders who had a plot to, to hurt him and, and his friends and, and, and kill him, ultimately get, get rid of him. He, he weeps over me and you. He just loves us. That's grace. He cares. He just, it's clear in the Bible and even from a cross. And as we get ready to celebrate this on Good Friday, I don't know how you're going to celebrate it or how you're going to focus on it or what your next seven days are going to be like or what you're going to do about Easter or how you're going to approach reaching out to your friends and your, your, your kids' friends and, and inviting them to worship with you or how, where your head is going to be, you know, this week. But hopefully it can be in the Scripture. And that you can, you know, of all weeks, of all weeks, get ourselves out of the way. Focus in on Jesus, not the noise in our life. And follow him. And then lastly, I just put this in because I liked it. Jesus, don't mistake Jesus from your grandmother. He is loving he is compassionate, but he is tough. And he does not want to put up with hypocrites on that. And so, you know where we go from this? He is the humble one on a donkey. He is the guy who's going to let himself get crucified. He is the guy who loved and, and, and exalted and lifted up women and children and the unfortunate, you know, there and the foreigner. But he is also the king of kings. He is also the Lord of Lords. He is also the Alpha and the Omega. He is also the resurrected one. He is also the one when we say Jesus is Lord, we need to mean it and make it our goal with all of our hearts to humbly submit to him and his spirit working in, in our life because, you know, we honor and revere him as the resurrected one. And as we close out, well, I lost my scripture, okay? Um, as we close out, I'll just uh, say a prayer for communion and we'll close out, all right? <laughs> hey, let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, I, we, we don't have words. A prayer can't do it. A song can't do it. You know, th there's no way to express how deeply grateful we are for you and your grace and Jesus. May you... Father, be the center, Jesus Christ, of this communion that we take and the center of our lives and the center of our week. In Jesus' name, amen.